0: okay it's great to want to have phil it's great to have um, um my uncle Philip um <laughs> here with us this mor- <laughs> with us this morning um come on come on up Phil Phil doesn't really need that much of an introduction to most of you, but I know some of you might not fully know who he is um but he, he he's my he's my uncle um I, 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 can you see I really look like him and um <laughs> Thank <you. Thanks> Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Hi. some people have called us twins, you know the movie twins. <laughs> not like actual twins, you know. Uh. (laughs) So it's good to have Phil with us, this sort of dream and story of Emmanuel. Many of you know it all started in Phil's living room over 21 years ago. Um, And so um, it's amazing to watch how God has grown and deepened and developed the story of what he's been doing in our town, and now uh, in both of our towns, and so many of you have been faithful in where God has called you to be, and we've ended up being weaved in together into this beautiful family that God's creating. and so it's great to have Phil here. He's much more than my uncle. He's uh, my friend and my pastor, and it's good to have Lorraine and Daniel here with them as well, and, uh, and so why don't you just, can we, can we give Phil coming over from Lurgan a good port down port E down, kind of round of applause as he uh, shares with us this morning.
1: Thanks Al, thank you. Oh, so lovely to be here, so lovely. It does feel like home and it was lovely being up at Bellyards yesterday as well and just to get to know some new people as well. It's lovely to to do that Um, and it's exciting to be part of what God's doing in our nation, isn't it? Lovely that Clara was leading worship here as well this morning. Clara has been a about Emmanuel, more years than she wants me to tell you, um, but uh, has been about us a long, long time, and it's lovely just that she was leading this morning special. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk this morning a little bit about the church, because we are the church, you see, um, not just Emmanuel. The church is a body of people. Um, you know that we're in this building temporarily, we're not dead sure um, where the next move is, but... It's not about the building. This is a great building, and next door is a great building, but if the if the powers that be decide that this building is no longer, there'll be another building, all right, because it's about the people. We are the church. The people are the church, and there's something very beautiful about that. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture out of um, Matthew 16. If you've got a Bible or a nap, it would be good to people on it and we can look along just about six verses that I'm going to to read. My dad owned a construction business. He was involved in, um, we made concrete blocks and stuff like that and concrete for the building industry had a quarry as well, hence the hearing aid. So um, I worked a block machine for many, many years that made concrete blocks and And there was four big, large, vibrating motors that vibrated the concrete down into the mold. And they were actually under my seat, which was great fun. And um, nobody ever thought back then of wearing ear protection. But um, uh, when I was 17, my brother and I, my brother Kenny, who's probably my best friend, or uh, him and I decided we would design some, we, we wanted to, to do something a little bit better in the block industry, and we decided we'd, we'd, we'd design a new block grab. This is of no interest to some of you, I know, but just in the context of the story, please bear with me, all right? And um, my, everybody said it wouldn't work. Um, they said it wouldn't work. It was so instead of lifting two piles of blocks, we were going to triple that. All right? And they said no machine would do this, and they couldn't do it. So we said, me and my brother said, I was seventeen, he was nineteen, and we said to the we said to the people, look, if you make it, dad will pay for it. We didn't tell dad, by the way. But um, so uh, they made it. And my brother, Alan, Ali's dad, had a Mazda pickup back in the day. It was one of those Mazda pickups back then that didn't have the suspension it has now. It was one of those ones a mile up the road, your shirt was between your shoulder blades. It was like this sort of thing. And um, so I, I jockeyed up to uh, Balagalli to lift this grab. And uh, we brought it back and we attached it to the forklift. And It worked. And I was pretty chuffed. I was a 17-year-old boy. We should have actually, we should have been a little bit smarter. And we should have patented it because they actually, still use it today. But um, I was pretty chuffed with this thing. It was just a m- conglomeration of steel, hydraulic hoses, pipes, rams, and it did all kinds of things. It, 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 it squeezed and it stacked and it sort of all these maneuvers like this here and it, it did it just was a fancy piece of equipment and it worked it was really really good and I was chuffed as a 17 year old boy there I was looking at something that I had invented this was my invention and uh, Kenny and I were quite chuffed with that. Um, I, I got married to, when I was uh, just 19 years of age, believe it or not. And uh, I was just a few months off, my 20th birthday. And on the 2nd of September, 1979, just literally about uh, a couple of months before my 20th, 21st birthday, my first daughter was born, Lisa. And um, I, I, I watched her as I watched all my kids, my five kids come into the world. And um, much to my dad's uh, absolute... Uh, he, he just thought this was awful. He didn't do that back then. Dads didn't go in to see babies been born. So he was quite disgusted with this. But anyway, um, I watched my first daughter come into the world and Mr. Wallace was the doctor and Mr. Wallace being Mr. Wallace um, insisted that I would cut her umbilical cord. It was the most horrific thing I've ever done in my whole life. And... Um, and as soon as I cut the umbilical cord, um, she started punching the air. Her wee lungs filled, and she screamed at the top of her voice. And she started punching her arms in the air, and her little legs started to kick. She's been doing it for the last 39 years. And, um, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um, I forgot about my invention. Because... This was my creation. This was something I had part of creating. And the invention never really meant an awful lot since. And here's my question to you this morning. Is the church an invention? Or is it a creation? Is it something that man invented and came up with a cool idea? Or is it something that we... Uh, that God has created. I'm going to suggest to you, God created this powerful thing called the church's confidence in politics aren't that good at the moment. We have Brexit here in, in Britain. We are friends in America. are having a wonderful time Either. We have a war in Syria with more refugees than the world knows what to do with. America, France, and Britain have just bombed Syria because of their chemical warfare. I'm just glad I'm part of a church. I'm glad I'm a believer. Are you glad you're a believer today? If you're not a believer, oh man, get in quick. Get in quick. Don't go home today without being part of the church because there's something powerful. And the good news is God is in control. God is in control. And the even better news is he has a plan. And And you want me to tell you what the plan is? Well, you could look at the person beside you right now and say, it's you. You You're the plan. You're the plan. It's not somebody else. You are the plan. You are part of this incredible thing. Now, turn with me um, to Matthew 16. We're going to read six verses, 13 to 16, uh, or 13 to 19, sorry, of Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Syria, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Um, He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That's not just a good idea, Simon. That's not an invention. Hmm. That that was created in you, he said. This was creation. The Father who is in heaven stirred that in you. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will build my church. And to this incredible church, he's ordaining power. He says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind, he says, I'm giving this incredible power to this thing called the church is very, very Powerful. Now, it's a bit of a crazy story, really, when, when you look at it, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, a guy around 30, he, uh, his mom, a teenager when he was born, um, grew up, his dad owned his own business, carpenter, they lived in a rural area, pretty poor, population of probably a few dozen people, maybe one well where they would get water, he would go to that every day. He probably grew up in a home about the size of the space where you parked your car this morning. And part of that home would have been uh, affiliated to animals, not all for them. Um, There was no indoor plumbing fixtures. um, There was no excessive wealth, all right? He worked for his dad as a carpenter. And then when he's 30, he starts to preach... And teach. He's a group of 12 followers. He is a simple guy, no wife, no kids, no corporate job, and yet in his legacy, is the largest, largest legacy in the history of the world. Time Magazine called him the man of the millennium, the most important man who has ever lived, recognized by Christians and non-Christians alike. More songs have been sung to, more paintings have been painted, more books have been written about Jesus than anybody else ever in the world. He didn't have Facebook, he didn't have a Twitter account, he never even heard of Periscope, he had no email, he had no business card, he didn't have a sign with his name on the door. In fact, even history is divided around his life. We call it A, D, and B, C. Everything hinges around this man called Jesus. And it's this man who fairly early in his ministry declares this little statement. He says, I Will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a statement. What an incredible thing. Just imagine a 30-year-old homeless guy, unemployed, he's single, um, followed by 12 guys making a statement like this. Some of you in this room, self-included, would probably have a little giggle. We'd probably tweet something and say, I just met this crazy guy who thinks he's going to change the world. We would never have expected this to happen, but it did And the most beautiful thing about this, for all the views that exist around the world today about the church and how valid it is, it's my contention today that every opinion of man is dwarfed by what Jesus thinks about the church. No matter what you think about the church, it's dwarfed by what he thinks. Here we are 2,000 years later and we are the church. The church is not a building Billions of, of, of people on planet Earth today, racking in around 2.2 billion people on planet Earth today, worship him as Lord and Savior and King, the most famous person who ever lived. And um, his followers take on the name of Christian, which means little Christ are Christ's followers. And the church is not a building, it's not a club, it's not a program or a committee, it's not man-made, it's not defined in man's terms, it's not a particular style of worship, and it's not a denomination. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And here's the big idea. we are going to see this a few times this morning. The big idea is this. The church is the sovereign will of God. It's the purpose of God. It's the central fact of his will. And we are the church. And that's what will rewrite the story of our cities and our nations. That's why it's it's important to be part of a local church. That's why it's so important to be part of a local expression of church. It's so beautiful to see what's happening here in Portadown. This is a local expression of the body of Christ. This is a local expression of the bride of Christ. That's why you need to get in both feet. You need to get in. You need to get included because it's not just a cool idea. This is not just about getting a pep talk. This is not just about getting your your tank filled up. All of those things are wonderful. This is about changing the world. This is about changing our towns and our cities and making Christ known. Jesus is the builder. I love this. He says, I will build my church we know in Psalm 127, it says that unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. There's no point in trying to build your own thing. Unless the Lord builds a house, its labor build in vain. 127, 1 in the Psalm. So God's the builder. In fact, I love this because God's always building. We tend to think that God just started building. He started creating and he stopped creating after six days. That's not true. God's always building. I grew up in a builder's family and God's a builder. He's always building. You find in Genesis 1 he's creating, in Genesis 12 he's building a nation, in First Peter 2 he's building a church with living stones, here you are this morning, and even in John 14, even when he goes home he says I'm, I'm going to keep building, I'm going to build a mansion for you, a place that whenever you come you're going to stand back and say holy smoke probably will, all right. Holy smoke, look at what God has created for me. That's because God is a builder. And so as he makes his, his sort of statement, his inaugural statement about the central fact of his will and purpose, he says several strategic things that I want to look at this morning. The first thing he says, just four things, he, 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 he builds prophetically, all right. I will I will is a declaration of what will be. It's not yet visible. That's why I say, you, when, when he made this statement, some of us would look at him and think, what in the wide world is he thinking? Twelve guys. Like, it's not actually changing the world, is he? And here he, he means this. He, he, he makes this statement prophetically that I will build my church. The word, a Greek word means to build a house. I always think it's interesting that Jesus arrived in the home of a builder. If you look at most theologians, you'll probably see that Joseph was more than just a carpenter. He was probably a builder. He was probably the sort of a handyman guy that you would get to do an extension on your home or, or could turn his hand to anything. That's probably what he was more like Well, his trade was carpentry. I'm sure he was probably, they did like, like building. And Jesus arrives in the, in the home of a builder, <laughs> And, and, and there's something about building, because living things grow. Lives must change. Disciples have to be made. The kingdom must advance. And Jesus promised that this thing called the church would be invasive. It would be systematic. It would be always growing. It would be always advancing. It would be a movement. And we know here that for a movement to be a movement, it has to keep moving. And so Jesus was this kind of person. Not only did he build prophetically, but he built purposefully. He, he, he says, I will, is a statement of purpose, all right? There's a lot of things Jesus could have been doing on planet Earth. There's a lot of things he could have said he would do, but this is one thing he said he would do. I will build my church. I love what John Criswell says about this. He says, God's main intention in human history is to reunite himself with a world that is estranged by sin. And all that he's doing in time and space is an effort to further that desire. All that he's doing, everything he's doing, he's building his church. He builds prophetically. He builds purposefully. He builds personally. I love this. He, My church. I will build my church. Not somebody else's church. Not dad's church. My church. I will build my church. A statement of ownership and personal value. I love it. For God so loved the world that he gave. Ephesians tells us that this church was so important to him that he gave himself up for her told us husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and give himself up for her. He called her the bride of Christ. You can't hardly imagine what this incredible thing that God sent his son to give himself for, this thing called the church. That's why I'm proud to be the church. When people say to me, are you a Christian? I just don't say, yes, I am. I want to invalidate it. I want, to, I want to validate it. I want to say, yes, I am, and I'm proud to be a Christian. I'm proud to be, I'm proud to be part of the greatest thing on earth today, the Bride of Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ. I, I stopped at the lights at, um, at Francis Street this morning, and there's a billboard straight in front of you. It's the Simon Community billboard. I don't know any of you have you seen it or not, but it says that 100,000 adults in Northern Ireland at this moment in time are homeless. 100,000 adults in, in Northern Ireland at this moment in time are homeless. Is it any wonder that we need the church? Psalm 68, 6 is God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free just where he wants it. God needs the church like today, never, like never before. We need to rise up and be the church. First Corinthians 12, our bodies have many parts, but God has put each part just where he wants it. And, and don't sit here this morning and think, well, it's somebody else's job. It's your job to be the church. Your job. It's not the leader's job. We can, we can do what we can, but it's your job to be this incredible church. And not only does he build prophetically, not only does he build purposefully, not only does he build personally, he builds passionately. I love this. I love this. He says, the gates of hell... Can't stop this thing growing. The very gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The reality is that there are two opposing kingdoms. We know this around us all the time. And prior to salvation, you were an enemy to God. If you are in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're on that opposing side. you say, well, where do you get that filled from? Well, Paul talks about this in Colossians. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But when you surrender your life to Christ, you transfer from one to the other. I love this. He's rescued you. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom. Imagine being transferred. You ever transfer some money or something like that? Well, that's what God has done for us. He's transferred us out of one kingdom into another kingdom. And now that you're on the opposing side and your enemy gets a lot more hostile and and and, and, and for Jesus to say that two things are, are sure there's a certainty of conflict alright if you're a believer in here you're bound to know this by now that tough times come to good people and sometimes the enemy gets into opposing and and the Bible doesn't say you ignore the, the devil and he'll flee from you it says you submit yourselves unto God and you resist the devil and he'll flee from you so don't just ignore him I love what some World War some guy out of out of the second world war bomber pilot said this if you're if you're taking flak you're probably over the target and, and so conflict will come your way. There's no doubt about that. But there's a promise of victory. There's a promise of victory. The gates of hell represent the central authority of the kingdom of darkness. And gates, however, are stationary and act as defensive walls against a, an offensive enemy attack. And Jesus is actually declaring in picture that the enemy is in a defensive posture, knowing that he will ultimately be defeated. I love this little um, quote of Lewis's in the uh, analogy of Christianity. He, he writes this Ever since Christ's ascension, his church army is engaged in a mopping up operation. The church militant, so long as she is church obedient, will be the church triumphant as well. We are in, a, we are in the coolest thing. We are in the greatest army ever. This thing called the church is incredible. Stand up and be proud of the church. Be proud to be part of her because she is the greatest thing that has ever happened. It's not a man's invention. It is the creative juices and power of Almighty God. And Ephesians 1-4 tells us, even before the foundation of the world, he chose you to be part of this thing. Here's the big idea the big idea is the church is a sovereign will of God, the purpose of God, and the central fact of His will. And we are the church. And that's what will rewrite the story of the cities and the nations. You know, as the church grows, some incredible things happen. Um, his church is strategic. He launched this phase 2,000 years ago with about 120 people gathered in an upper room and he told them to wait there till the Holy Spirit came upon them. And as the Holy Spirit was poured out and the power of God began to work in each of their lives, the church growth was, it was incredible. 3,000 people got saved and baptized in one day imagine us trying to baptize 3000 people in that wee tank that'd be great fun wouldn't be much water left by the time you'd finished but there's something this church grows and as this church grows here's some of the things as as you become part of this church in Portadown, and it's beautiful to see what's happening, as you become part of this church here in Portadown, here's some things that the Bible says begins to happen, right? The first thing is you begin to just love God passionately. That's what the church does. Not just about programs. Programs are great, but they're secondary. It's about loving God passionately. All the believers got devoted. They just got sold out. They just went high on the devotional continuum. And they just said, wow, God and and, and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all highly devoted when it comes to me. So we're just sold out and we're just going to love God passionately. And this that it 's a key one if something if we can 't do anything more, this was active, it was passionate, it was the obvious dedication to the work and becoming the church that Jesus had but in mind. The second thing that I think happens is we begin to honor the scriptures, something happens, we begin to honor what the Bible says. we teach the Word of God, and you you too yeah, uh, uh, 4, five. I don't know how many you have in here but I know as Al leads the charge here you've got incredible teachers in this church that know the scripture that, that can teach and expound the Bible and teach in the word of God it's central to the gatherings of the early church that would study it and they wouldn't just study it but they would meditate on it, they would interact around the scriptures, they would have fun and they would argue as it were in a good way around the scriptures so there's something about there's something about honoring the scriptures, all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The third thing that happens when a church grows is people live spirit filled lives. The nonsense begins to stop. Well, she said this and he said that and they didn't speak to me and they did that and they did. Nonsense. We start to live spirit life. We, start, we rise above that nonsense. We rise above the gossip and the chitter and the chatter and stuff like that and we begin to see prayer and miraculous signs and wonders and worshiping together and praising God. And because the church was birthed by the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it became a constant and a consistent part of the lives of the early believers and he showed up in their prayer He showed up when they worshipped. They struck a key, if they had keys then, and something happened. The God turned up in the midst of it because there was something very powerful as they worshipped God. Their lives began to get soaked. And then the the fourth thing was that they began to connect with purpose. Purpose something happened. They, they started to realize that they needed to do a connect coffee morning on a Friday morning. They realized that they needed to go back and prayer, the, uh, prayer walk the park uh, on a Friday night. They realized that, that, there, that there was a purpose, that it wasn't just a, a Sunday morning only SMOs. It wasn't that. There was something about connecting and reaching out into the community. There was something about getting a girl saved. There was something about getting a few people saved in Rushmere last week. There was something about reaching out because they began to connect with purpose and they began to worship together and meet in others' homes and something began to happen so powerful. And for the church to become a community, they integrated into each other's lives with a sense of purpose and they became something larger or part of something larger than themselves called the church. I'm really out of breath. (laughs) 1 Peter 2.10 says this, once you had an identity as a people Now once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. I love that. Here's the fifth thing that happened. They they just grew. They just grew as disciples. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and they just this grew. This they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. As believers, something began to happen, and a, a, a disciple is to be a disciplined learner, one who made up the, the growing company of Christ's followers, which allowed their lives to be shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the apostles' teaching. And then, this is—I love this—they just began to reach people everywhere. <laughs> it just became contagious. When all of those things started to happen, they just—they they just began to. Get contagious, and people just started to get saved every single day. Every and the church just continued to grow. Lives were changing. The community was expanding. We can't miss that this is a central point of the church that had that God had in mind. The church must be on a mission to reach the hurting, the lost, and those who don't know Jesus. That has to be our mission. And then the last little point is this: building churches strategically. Acts one eight. Go receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses, telling people everywhere in Jerusalem. Just didn't stay at home. It went to Judea, went into Samaria, and it started to go into the uttermost places of the earth. I love this phrase. One, Frank DiMaggio, one of my favorite Bible teachers, I love this. He says, the church that Jesus had in mind gathers together, but also dissembles itself and goes into the cracks and crevices of society in order to share Christ with the world. We gather together, then we go out. We gather together and we go out, we gather together and we leak out. We don't. It's not a happy, clappy little club us for and no more. And we just do our little thing, or we holy huddled thing, and then we come back next Sunday. No, this has to. something has to. Something has to spark in our souls that goes out. And so here in Portadown today, we are simply an extension of the first church in Acts. And over five decades now, as part of a particular church history, tells me that the gospel works and lives change. There is something powerful from 120 people in an upstairs room somewhere in Jerusalem to 2.2 billion people in the world today. The church is growing. But I ask you this question. We bring our, our, our remarks to a, a conclusion in a moment or two. I ask you this question. Could we do this today? If somebody hadn't provided a room for 120 believers 2,000 years ago church begins as Christ impacts each one of our lives and then we get added to something larger than ourselves and begin to realize, wow, this is my church. This is my church. This isn't just a church. This is my church. And and when you, you might know the right answer to the question I started with, at times we struggle to know really, is the church a creation or is it... A, invention, don't we? We struggle actually to know that. We wonder, are we, is it personal or is it professional? Are we just a number? Or are we a name? That's why days like yesterday at Bellyards are so important. Getting the new names, asking people their names. And while at times people get it wrong, and even at times in church people get wounded. Yes, they do. Jesus is still building his church. <laughs> and we are the church. We are the church. I love in the last chapter of Romans, in Romans chapter 16, Paul writes a quagmire of names, 28 in total of unknowns, unknowns. Like they weren't called Bill and Mervyn and and Freda back then. We've got Phoebe, that's not too bad. We've got Priscilla and Aquila, we can announce those. Then we've got a Pentanus, We've got Mary, that's good. And we've got Anticonus and Junia and Amflatius. Imagine we call that. Stachus, Apellus, Urbanus, Aristobulus, Narcissus, Triphena and Triposa. On we go. Persis. And of course, his dear mother. <laughs> Doesn't even forget her. Rufus. And you can look at yourself. Romans 16, take a go at it, see, 28, 28 names, 28. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he take the time to pen 28 unknowns? Here's why I think he did it because God knows your name. God's interested in you. And if you're in this room today and you feel a bit isolated, church is a way of doing that at times too. I'm I'm, I'm owning that. But we're trying really hard. And if you're in this room and you feel a little bit isolated, you need to know this. God knows your name. And in naming so many individuals, it shouted from the rooftops that we are the church. You're important. When Jesus told us, chose his 12 disciples, there wasn't one of them that would impress us. They were rough, red-necked guys, uneducated workmen, several were rough fishermen who spent their time out in the open sea catching fish or on a shore repairing their boats and their nets to go to fish. One of them was a tax collector that nobody liked, you know. And um, I-, I love way back in the eighties there was a writer called Beverly Everett Steele. She was a journalist and she wrote this. I love this. She says that God is tone deaf. Did you know that? God is tone deaf. He's so deaf that he thinks the off-key singing of Jesus Loves Me by a five-year-old is as beautiful as a solo from the Messiah by a trained soprano. She, she, she remarked that God can't count, because she said if he could count, he would know better than to accept the 20p from a preschooler with the same joy as a thousand pounds from a rich person. And she said, God definitely can't concentrate. Because if he could, he he listens to millions of prayers all at the same time instead instead of concentrating on those from the rich and famous and the preachers and important church leaders. And lastly, she said, God has pure eyesight. He doesn't see us as we are, but keeps seeing us for who we will be. It's beautiful. What she was saying was that the high and mighty people of this world aren't the ones that actually impress God. Instead, he's impressed by the active members of a local church who sign in and sign up and be there through hell or high water in the good times, in the tough times, but they stick at it and they've joined with the billions of people throughout this world who proudly declare today, we are the church. Folks, your part is essential. Your part is essential to this local body. I'm here today to say that to you as we bring this to a conclusion. Your part is so essential, the part you play. Uh, uh, you, you can imagine, as Clara led worship this morning, all the parts are important, aren't they? Not just the leader, but all the parts are important. And when you, when you read that passage in, in, in Romans, Paul, he says, Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for me. Creative people in church that would risk their lives for you in that. He says, Mary worked hard for me. I love this. She said, Tryphina and Triposa, Trifosa, those women work hard in the Lord. I love those little phrases. Persis, another woman, I'll leave it there, um, has worked very hard in the Lord. Apelles was tested and approved in Christ. He suffered for his faith. These are just a few people and many of them with church services in their home. They were the workers. These were the nuts and the bolts of the congregation. These were the rewriters of the story. And so God honored them by telling them, telling you their name in a secluded passage of scripture in uh, Romans 16. And God has called us to partner with him in building this incredible thing and rewriting the story of the city and of the nations. And you are intricately entwined Or you wouldn't be here this morning. Because it's not by chance that you're here. And you're intricately entwined into what God is doing here in Portadown. And you know when we planted in Portadown, we didn't want to be somewhere where everywhere else, every other denomination maybe was, but somewhere where, where there was a bit of we needed to contend for and we needed to contest for. And here we are. And God is building his church. And just in case you'd forget it, the big idea is, <laughs> the big idea is, it's the sovereign will of God. You couldn't be in anything better. You couldn't be in anything better. It's the purpose of God, and it's the very central fact of His will. And you are the church. You say, but Phil, you have no idea how broken I am. You're the church. Phil, you don't know what's going on in my thought life at the minute. You're the church. Well you don't know what's going on in my job life or in my relationship with the men. you're the church. you're the church. and you see in family, we do life together. One of the things that they teach you in, in, in the marriage course is that you, it's not no longer my problem, it's our problem. So whenever Laurie and I have stuff that we need to contend for, it's not my problem or it's not her problems. Never her problems. My old mate. Um, that's um. <laughs> um uh, but it's ours. We own it together. We work through this together because we we love each other and because we're a community. And that's what churches do, folks. If we're going to rewrite the story of the city, we need to decide to be part of this creation, not an invention, not an invention, not a thing. But a living, moving, breathing, beautiful body, community of faith here in Portadine that will become beautiful and powerful. Let's pray and then I'll, I'll, I'll lead us in. Oh, you're glad to be part of the church? Oh, man, it's a big idea. So beautiful. Father... Thank you for the church. Thank you that. Thank you that. It's not an invention. God forgive us for, forgive us for trying to silo it, forgive us for trying to put it into little boxes and and even into denominations, many of whom we love and partner with and and are doing an amazing job. But God forgive us for for just trying to limit it. And God, what we want to do is we want to unleash it. We want to unleash this thing, this thing called the church. We want to unleash the men and the women that are sitting right now in these seats in this um, shopping center and pour it down. God, will you release them in in a, in a way to say, I, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of what God's doing and pour it down. I want to be I want to be part of it. I want to give my life to it, not just oh, I'll sign up for a few months and see if it works. No, let's. This is something I want to live for. This is something that I want to give the rest of my life to in building the church in this area. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks, fellow. I want sure appreciation for that word this morning. Brilliant. Great stuff. Um, It is a really great point. I would love us to be thinking about that just over the next week. Because next week um, in church, we're going to be um, speaking a little bit more about the church. We're obviously in the middle of our theme at the minute, uh, one of our key practices, growing as a family. And next week we're going to give you an opportunity to um, kind of respond. Like I know many of you already have in your hearts, but I know for others of you you've been journeying maybe um, for not as long ti- as long a time with us. And and um, and I suppose there's that question. And it's not that we want to like get a heavy around membership, but sometimes we just want to be able to say, I want to be able to respond by saying this is where I want to put my roots down. This is where I want to call family. You don't have to do that next week, but we do want to give people an opportunity. to respond in that way so that we have an idea just pastorally and also as a leadership how we can really love and support and create a sense of growing family as people say this is the place where I want to call home. I was going to bring, when he started to kick off, I was going to bring Finley up here this morning. Not because I like to do those things often, but just because he was born two weeks, isn't he, before we started this church. And just to kind of labor Phil's point, really, of he's a person, right? He's an actual living person. And church is a person, it's not a club. It's not a club. You're not joining a club, it's a person. And you, you play a part in that. In the, it, it, you don't even want to go there in your imagination, sure, you don't, to think what it would be like to dismember a person. But it's horrific, isn't it, to think that? And that's why when stuff goes wrong in churches, which it does because we're human, it hurts so much because it's a person. And we as the church are the person of Jesus on the earth today. It's incredible. And Paul was looking at that, and he wasn't looking back in Ephesus and all of that he wasn't looking at he wasn't looking at flashing lights and great worship bands and brilliant coffee, and even he wasn't even looking at brilliant Bible teachers, he was looking at families, little families twenty forty, and he was going in the midst of the Roman Empire, going, "This is the big idea. this is the central plan of God from the beginning of time, and through these little families, the manifold wisdom of God." the manifold wisdom of God is going to be displayed, the principalities and powers, and that's what we are. And so we are unashamedly, despite all the problems that has been connected to the church over the years, unashamedly passionate about the church of Jesus Christ because it's still the way God's going to change yeah. and transform the world. Yeah. And so every single one of us were part, born, I believe, to be part of a local, local church. I think it's very, very biblically biblical, right? It's all right. Of course it is. We will and visit and do all of those things. But somewhere along the line, you have to say, this is home. This is where I'm going to give. This is where I want to bring my kids up. This is where I want to be formed. And this is where I want to commit to and serve. Because that's how we do this. Yeah, we do, we take corporate responsibility. Yeah, it's not about the professionals and the laity. That's totally unbiblical. Even though that's most of the way the church works, right? That's totally unbiblical. It's about a body and a family doing it together. And we'd love you to be prayerful about that over next week as we kind of respond to the Lord and um, and push on into where the Lord's taking us together. So I hope uh, I hope the Lord speaks to you about that. I'm sure he will over the week ahead. Here, it's been a great weekend. It's been great to be together this morning. Thank you, Phil, for coming and sharing with us. We appreciate it. And uh, we're not going to sing or anything again. We're just going to have some tea and coffee, leave some time for you to hang out before um, you go and have your Sunday lunch. And uh, if you would go and get your kids, that would be amazing as well. Um, they're kind of as Chris always says they are your responsibility from this point on <laughs> once, once you get them which is a good thing to say and a good thing to be reminded of somebody tell me but uh, please hang out stay with us come and talk to Phil if you'd like or any of us if you'd like prayer for anything we'd love to do that and have a great afternoon the Lord bless you